Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome to episode 23 of the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders, for Willamette Week. Thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of June. June 5th, Saturday. Great to have you with us again. We have a great show for you. We start off with an interview with Andrew Jankowski. Andrew helped write this week's cover story all about pride in Portland. This is Pride Month, LGBTQ plus in Portland. We'll ask him what the community's up to, how things are going, very interesting topic. And then we also talked to Tess Risky. Risky has been keeping a watchful eye on the false accusations of a hit and run that happened uh, in March against City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. So we go into that issue with her, very interesting topic. Stick around, but first, before we get to all those interviews, we have all the news, everything that happened this week. This is the 90 Second News Flash. Folks, we start off this news flash with a story that's been dominating Twitter and headlines all around Portland, and that is about Andy No. Uh, that's Andy NGO. Andy received national attention when he wrote a best-selling book about Antifa. He's very anti-Antifa. Well, he was working on another chapter for his book and went undercover to the protests that took place on the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. Antifa hates him, and there were some Antifa members at the protest, and they spotted what they thought was Andy, uh, and they chased him, they roughed him up a little bit, beat him up, caused a little bit of blood, and he eventually found refuge in the Nines Hotel. Now, coincidentally, the Denver Nuggets, who had come in to play uh, the Blazers in the playoffs, they were staying at the Nines Hotel. That's a little bit of a side story. Um, but it turns out that it actually was Andy. It was confirmed when Andy posted about his experience on his Twitter, talked about it, and listen, guys, you know, I don't do the story justice. If you really want to figure it out and, and read about it, then you can go to our website, read the stories that we have about it. It's a very interesting, much better job than I just did there. So give that a read. Okay, next topic. We are approaching only the second time in 25 years when the Oregon governorship is up for grabs. Because there were a few people that we thought were going to run and they've decided they'd come out and said that they aren't going to run for a variety of reasons, um, because of them not running, this election is really wide open for Democrats, of course. Uh, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori released her budget proposal in April, and now the Portland Business Alliance is asking that she dedicate more of her proposed budget towards shelter beds for homeless people. Malik Muhammad, the man who was arrested for throwing Molotov cocktails at police uh, during a protest, has been returned to jail two days after the Portland Freedom Fund posted a quarter million dollar bail to release him. That's an expensive two days. Malik was returned to jail after the deputy district attorney filed a motion saying that Malik should stay in custody because he allegedly seeks out situations that allow him to... Uh, engage in violent behavior. Last but not least, in case you didn't get the memo, the Blazers were eliminated from the playoffs by the Denver Nuggets in Game 6 at home. Very sad, but we'll get them next year. This has been the 90 Second News Flash. 
For our first interview, we talked to Andrew Jankowski about this week's cover story. Andrew is a member of the LGBTQ community, and he is also a freelance journalist here in Portland. He played a large role in writing this week's Willamette Week cover story all about Portland pride. Take a listen to an excerpt of our interview. Andrew, let's start here. We haven't had you on the podcast yet, so let's just start off with who are you? Uh, tell me your story. Sure. Um, so I'm a freelance journalist here in Portland. Um, I have lived in the area. Um, I was born in Vancouver and I've just kind of stayed in the area my whole life. So I'm one of those things all the gardens fancy. Uh, <laughs> I came out about 10 years ago. Uh, next January, it'll be 10. Um, I initially came out as bi, but then after some soul searching, I'm kind of landing more in the gay, queer kind of territory kind of figuring out kind of what these words all mean to me and all that and uh yeah my journalism practice I graduated from PSU in uh 2018 I was uh, part of a team that helped cover um, the on the ground uprisings of like the protests this last year um I went to jail and there's an essay on it um but aside from that, I'm primarily known for that, along with just like news and arts and culture type stuff. I just love telling stories about Portland and either shining a light on things we don't know about or just kind of like tilting the lens a little bit just so we find something different. Um, that's my approach to journalism. Let's talk about this article. You do a series of interviews with people in the queer community in Portland. Mm -hmm. And so I want to take us to our to your favorite interview. Uh, so I did two interviews. It's hard to, you know, pitting, you know, queens against each other. It's so hard to say which one's my favorite. Um, I spoke, who did I speak with first? <laughs> um, I'll just go alphabetical. Um, Bobby Feather uh, was one of the first people that I spoke with. He is uh, a pillar of the arts community here in Portland. He's had um, really intensive involvement with several organizations uh, within the realm of like dance, theater, uh, just about if he threw a rock, he would probably hit an organization that he's been involved with. Um, and I found out through one of the drag girls in the scene that he's part of the community. And when I had been doing my research, I hadn't really found anything that like on paper would be conclusive like that. But when we talked, it was just so cool because he he's about, I think he's 70, I believe, I believe. Um, and it's just so cool to talk to older queer people who have never, who they've always been embraced for who they are, or like within their family, within those most immediate circles. So they've like always been allowed to live that way. Now, yeah, again, it's one of those things that's like, it's just such a good, like a great foundation to, to have. So I was just thinking it was really cool to talk to him about. I want to talk to you because you opened up the article talking about obviously the pride festivals, you know, the, the dancing and the, and because it is pride month, you know, in a non COVID time, this would be time where we're gearing up for those pride festivals on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people say is really important about the pride festivals is yeah, it's fun. And you know, you get to, you get to have a lot of fun, but, but also it's really important for young people who are coming out. I went to school at Lincoln high school, downtown Portland, and young men, young guys in our class would walk down the hallway holding hands with their boyfriends and nobody would bat an eye. Nobody would even give them a weird look. It was accepted. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's still that need in Portland, downtown Portland, to have that pride festival for the element of the youth? Whether it's downtown or not isn't a big question for me. It can really be anywhere. Um, but I think that uh, public gatherings where we can be ourselves, share our history openly, 
celebrate in a way without being edited. Um, I think that's important for kids to see. I cannot imagine how different things would be if I had been able to just more openly question myself and learn about queer folk um, rather than just sort of like being in the closet and trying to survive um, a community that didn't want me. Do you hear me say, hey, we, you know, young people are super accepted in Portland uh, for being openly gay. Do you hear that and go, oh, you're so naive. You're an outsider. You don't actually know what they're dealing with. It's still really hard to be a young gay person in the city. Um. No, to be honest, I mean, because one, I mean, yeah, it, it's still incredibly difficult. And just because, I mean, yeah, just because some of, you know, our previous classmates have had it easier doesn't mean that all of our classmates have had it easy, um, especially people who have come and had like realizations after learning like that. So it's still, it's still for everyone. And there's still, um, even though there are pockets of Portland, they're still super accepting and maybe even are just like polite and not saying anything like there are still you go just outside and there's plenty of, I mean, yeah, I grew up in Vancouver. So it's just like, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say to that. Like, I'm not going to be mad if somebody has a perception about how queer people, you know, do or don't suffer, but I'll always like educate someone and bring them information. And if we can, you know, share a dialogue about that and just be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Is this, you know, correct? And I'd be like, well, here's, you know, as long as we have the dialogue going, I think we'll be okay. Um, tell me about how not being able to go to queer establishments uh, because they've all been closed, everything's been closed due to COVID. Tell me how that's affected the queer community. Are we, is it, is it taking a little bit of a step back? Um, I, I wouldn't say that like the pandemic necessarily moved us all. I mean, like, yes, some people did move more online, but the queer community is a very online community already. Um, right. and yeah, whether it's social media, chat rooms, forums, whatever, uh, digital space, like those have always been very important to us. It's how a lot of us find the answers that we're looking for when they're not given to us. Um, so I think there was a greater emphasis on those uh, digital queer spaces this year. Um, um, but do I want to go to a bar and like put up with some gay shenanigans? Yes, I have missed it. Um, what what bar are you I, going? What bar are you going to for, first? What's the what's the place in Portland you like to go to? Oh, I don't know. I <laughs> I like them all. I, now that we've been through so much, I'm going to go to at least one of everyone to see what's up and see who's out. Um, I love you know going downtown. I love making sidebars. Um, I know there's one uh, like Shine Stiller Brewery that's uh, new as of like 2019, and I didn't or 2019. Showing <laughs> my age. Um, yeah, I haven't even gotten to see them yet. So it'll be great to just like reconnect with the community and see where we're all at. Here, here's a dumb question that I think that, and I'm asking it because I haven't heard a great response to it. I haven't even heard it asked, uh, you know, to somebody who has knowledge of the community. It's, um, But here's my question is, there are not straight bars. There's not straight month. Um, should, like... Do you dream of a day when we don't need Pride Month, where we don't need gay bars? Um, I don't think for me, no. I, I think I, I'm not of the generation that wants to, like, not have, like, coming outs and things. Like, I think I will be happier when, yeah, we can just just be out and not make 
it, you know, a big whole thing, that'll be great. Um, but I'm always going to be for people having the language to describe themselves and like having a space that they know they can go to without having to like, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes some straight folks, uh, they don't, they don't know and they don't want to know. And if I can go somewhere that I don't have to deal with that, I'm okay. To end our episode, let's talk to Willamette Week reporter Tess Risky. Back in March, Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty was named in a hit-and-run incident. The problem is, she doesn't drive. It turns out Hardesty had nothing to do with this incident. Now, is this simply a horrible example of racial profiling, or is there something more sinister going on here? Tess has been following this story in a unique Willamette Week report that tracks how this case is being handled by Portland police. She adds to the story on a daily basis. I had questions for her. Why is this story important? Because like we've seen so many times on social media, anybody can make any racial statement uh, to the police and that's on them. That's not on the police department because you can say anything that you want. So why is this roping in uh, in questions about the police? There are several reasons literally in just the year of 2020 that put Commissioner Joanne Hardesty at direct odds with the Portland Police Bureau. Like calling her an adversary of the Police Bureau isn't necessarily a stretch. Then you have the information then was leaked. The information that accused Commissioner Hardesty was not just like distributed in a standard way. The information was given out um, to particular people. So as far as we know, the only confirmed people who had this information at the time, like who received it, were um, a reporter at the Oregonian, which ran the story and kind of legitimized it. And then... um, a like far right, right-leaning neighborhood group in Portland, um, which also like did a Facebook Live on the morning of March 3rd, publicizing this information. So then the question became, okay, wait, once we learned this was wrong, that she was not a suspect, you're like, so who leaked this about her and what were their motives? Because this is a piece of information that could um, completely sabotage her career if it were true, if she really was involved in a hit and run crash it's a crime right that's i mean her, her credibility is just destroyed so then it becomes a question of did somebody intentionally leak this information especially to the right-wing groups um in order to harm commissioner hardesty's reputation that's why it's significant okay so to just get a couple things right so like if i was accused of a hit and run it wouldn't be handled the same way that it was handled with with it, you know there wouldn't be leaks about this random kid right that's what that's right. what we're going because- on right Right. Like if it had just said, you know, Hank Sanders on it, like, you know, not like you don't matter, but most people wouldn't just see that and think it's a big deal. Uh, Most significantly, the Portland Police Bureau would probably not really care. Whereas if they see Commissioner Joanne Hardesty might be involved in a crime, well, that's a lot more uh, interesting, you know? So until they find out, well, until they find out that I host a dive (laughs) podcast, that's. Well, yeah, until that happens, your cover's totally blown. But up until that moment, yes. So, yes, you're right. It's it's not, it's something that's like, it's definitely, you know, it's unusual because of her powerful position in the city. 
So the theory isn't what people are speculating. We don't want to speculate, but what outsiders are speculating is that it wasn't that there was uh, like there were the racial profiling came from a person that wasn't part of the police. She called the police and she was the one that that did the racially profiling. She was certain that it was Joanne Hardesty. But then the way that the police have handled the release of that information uh, leads us to believe that they did it in a way that wanted to damage her because of her past relationship with the police. Is that correct? Right. Because okay. the question becomes why is it, it's not within policy to distribute information about an incident like this, you know, within a few hours of it happening and sending it to a few specific people, you know, and to this day, we don't know who sent it. So then they hire an outside counsel to investigate this. They fight, you know, a, somebody falls on their sword, a a police chief falls on their sword on this, um, takes the blame for this. So case closed. (laughs) No, No, that's what I think. Oh yeah. So, okay. Uh, 90 days as of this interview since the internal affairs investigation began on March 5th, we still have no clue what Brian Hunziker did that led to his resignation. Um, Brian Hunziker is the police chief who, police president who uh, stepped down. Yeah, the the PPA president. PPA president. Yes. Um, So we don't know what he did um, still. But there are a few reasons why this information has not been revealed. I mean, namely, you know, pending an internal affairs investigation, police bureau has no obligation to say anything. Um, the investigation is still ongoing, so there's no reason that they have to disclose this information prior to the conclusion of that investigation. Um, but I think what's even more important beyond just the internal affairs investigation is a clause in the police bureau's contract, which says that the city is not allowed to um, embarrass an officer or is if an officer is disciplined, the city has to like discuss that in a way that is least likely to cause embarrassment to the officer. So this like one sentence in the, uh, you know, long, maybe 70 something page police bureau contract is a huge part of why the city cannot just come out and say what happened because then they would be in breach of their contract and, um, you know, it would cause a whole like labor complaint to be triggered and all of this stuff would happen as a result. So like, because of this contract, the city can't do that. Um, they're currently trying to bargain that line away. The city is, but that's, you know, TBD. So you have the internal affairs investigation pending and police never want to tell you answers to an investigation before they're done with it. So they have that as sort of their, like, you know, shield. And then you also have the contract, which says you can't embarrass an officer, um, which has kind of just become a blanket way for police to never have anything revealed about them publicly. Um, So those are pretty much the main reasons. Um, But now it's like, okay, we're 90 days in. Somebody knows something, you know, somebody can tell someone else, like, how is it that this information about a sitting commissioner leaked so quickly and spread so rapidly right. like wildfire, but this in, but, but an actual incident of wrongdoing, what the police union itself called a serious mistake is still a mystery. See, that's part of the frustration too, is you compare the treatment of these two people. You have a, a city commissioner. Well, Joanne Hardesty isn't protected by any clause about, you know, not being able to be embarrassed publicly. She doesn't have that protection. But, you know, Brian Hunziker as a uh, city employee, a police bureau employee does have that protection. It almost seems like because 80 days have passed without 80 to 90 days have passed without much going on, 
it almost seems like uh, they're trying to maybe blow, let this thing blow over, let us forget about, you know, maybe what happened. This is just conjecture on my part, but, uh, but you have insisted that you will not forget what happened. You are, you have a running uh, daily updated uh, almost blog uh, talking about this, looking at this. Uh, and the title of it is very interesting. Quote, we will continue to publish this column until we know what officer Brian Hunziker did. Uh, why did you choose to go about this story this way? Well, we just started this because we, you know, have to fill a newspaper every week. And so we, I pitched just doing a brief item about, oh, why don't we count how many days it's been since these various investigations have began? Because I didn't mention yet, you know, there's uh, also the city itself is conducting its own two investigations related to this. Um, and also the Bureau of Emergency Communications is doing its investigation. So anyway, we were like, let's just, you know, do it one item, counting how many days it's been since all of this occurred, you know, and at that point, I think it had been like, more in like the 50 day range or something when I first did this. And then I don't even think we did it the next week. And then I wrote to my editor and I said, is it too cheeky if we have a running column counting the days? Uh, and my rationale is, you know, like, I personally like am upset. Like, we still don't know. And like, this is absurd. I mean, this is a big deal. His resignation, I like, that is a big deal. Even by Portland news standards, that is a very big deal. How do we not know what he did? So out of my own frustration, I asked, you know, is it too cheeky of us if we have this running counter clock, you know, every week? And my editor said, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's too cheeky. Like, let's do it. So then every week we've started just adding seven days to our previous column. Um, and then, you know, at one point I heard some feedback from the mayor's office that was a bit negative about this um, column. They said that they felt like it was mean spirited. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Which, you know, it was That's how you know you're doing something right. <laughs> I was like, you know, listen, guys. I think, you know, I'm not even going to say it. I, I wrote, I wrote, I'm, running, I'm running a little, uh, a, a, an online column and what they did is a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, granted it is the mayor's office, which, you know, isn't the one directly involved, but Police, them, yeah. it is a situation where it is absurd that we still don't know what happened. That's why we are running this clock. And, you know, a big part of it is kind of what you touched on, which is like, you know, with continued time and continued delays, people grow apathetic and people forget and they, you know, it loses relevancy, it loses significance, but we do not want that to happen because we think that this is a big deal. Um, and we want public officials to feel pressure, at least from, you know, whatever, a little alt weekly, if anything, saying we are watching, we are we care about this and we are not going to forget and we're not going to give up until you provide this information. I mean, that's the least we can do. I mean, listen, it's not even, it's a, it's a weekly blog post. It's really not that special. I'm shocked the mayor's office even cared enough to contact me about it, but they did, which tells me that this is working. Yeah. It's a sore subject for sure. Well, keep and up the good work. So that's that. Forget. Thank you for yeah. listening to that rant. No, it's great. Thank you so much.
Well, folks, that's our episode for the Dive Podcast. I'm Hank Sanders. Thank you so much for listening. Keep reading Willamette Week. Keep listening to us. Thank you so much for the support. Till then, take care. Go Blazers. See you on the 12th. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast <laughs>